Well, I invite you to turn with me to John chapter 16. John chapter 16. We're going to read verses uh, 23 down to the end of the chapter, verse 33, and consider those same verses. And before we do so, I invite you to bow your heads in prayer with me. Our Heavenly Father, we approach you so thankful that you give us your word. And as we realize every week, unless your Holy Spirit works, no one who doesn't know you will be saved. And those of us who know you will not be grown or edified. And so we pray that you will work in each of us by your Holy Spirit, that you will give us what we stand in need of. You know what we need better than we do. And so we trust you. For Jesus' sake we pray, amen. All right, John 16 at verse 23. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Thus far the reading of God's word, may he bless it to our hearts and lives this morning. Beloved congregation of hope and everyone uh, listening this morning, uh, these are, again, the last words of Jesus. These are actually the, the, the final words of Jesus' formal instruction of his disciples before he goes to the cross. John 17 is his prayer to the Father, which is no doubt very instructive as well, but it's not an address to the disciples. And uh, in some ways, this the verses before us kind of summarize everything that Jesus has been saying through chapters 13 and 14 and 15 and 16. And he concludes with words that are extremely important. And what is interesting to note about these verses is that um, uh, Jesus is extremely tender and concerned about his disciples. We noticed last week he was concerned about their joy in the midst of a world that is filled with grief and sorrow. This week he's concerned about their peace in a world that's filled with distress and trouble and difficulty as we live in it. And he uses the language in this passage. I want to just kind of tease some of this out here before we kind of dive in point by point. He uses the language of tribulation. In this world, you will have tribulation. And the language of tribulation has to do with compression. It carries the challenge of coping with the internal pressure of a tribulation, especially when feeling there is no way of escape or being hemmed in. It's like being between a rock and a hard place 
and the focus isn't on the rock or the hard place. The focus is what that does to our insides and how that works. So how the tribulation affects us. Jesus is saying in the world, you will feel like you are continually being hemmed in with no place to go between a rock and a hard place. You will experience that. That's why in me, I want you to know the peace that comes in me. So that when you go through this world, you're not living with constant ulcers, as it were, constant soul ache on the inside, but that in the midst of tremendous difficulties, you can actually have peace because you know me. Now, we might think of, you know, small things that are tribulations or distresses, like if a wife asks her husband if he enjoyed the night crawlers and caviar and liver and onions that she spent all day making for him for supper, and he won't know what to say. His insides will turn upside down because he knows there's no good answer to that. If he says yes, he'll have that every week for the rest of his life. And if he says no, she will not be pleased with him, right? Those are tiny stresses. Our car breaks down, tiny stress. But the tribulation that Jesus Christ is talking about is kind of the soul-wrenching stuff on the inside that Christians will go through. Now, there's a plenty of people who think that if you come to Jesus, that will all go away. Believe in Jesus and your life will go swimmingly, but actually the Bible teaches quite the opposite. And Jesus is telling his disciples quite the opposite as well. So there are real situations that create real inner turmoil and difficulty. Some Christians end up getting divorced. Your spouse may just walk away from you. Now that's not something that's just hunky-dory, no big deal like I do over that last night. No, that's hard and difficult. And Jesus is saying, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. You're going to have difficulties. Or children grow up and they don't know the Lord. And the heartache that brings as a Christian parent, knowing that your child may spend an eternity estranged from God in hell forever, paying for their sins. Again, that's distress. That's rock in a hard place. That's inner turmoil and anxiety and difficulty. Burnout can happen for Christians where you just feel torn on the inside, so many things to do, so many people to try and care for that are in your circle of influence. Your family might be going through a difficult time and you pour yourself out and you're beyond exhausted. And the rock is people need you. The hard place is you can't stop and, and just not love them anymore. And so you're torn up on the inside. How do I even handle this situation? Difficulty, distress, death happens not like the death of an elderly parent who's long into their 90s and believes in the Lord, but like the deaths that happen when you have to bury a child. Parents weren't supposed to bury children. None of us are supposed to bury anybody. Or the death of a, a spouse. You know, you enter into marriage happy and excited, but uh, at best, marriage always ends in death. One of you is going to be buried before the other. And so that's difficult and that can be stressful, especially the death of someone who doesn't know the Lord. Sometimes abuse will happen. Raised in it as kids, undergo it in marriage, undergo it in the workplace, in relationships, difficulty, torn up on the inside about how to handle it. Sickness, real physical illness, not just, hey, I had the common cold last week, uh, but, but debilitating stuff that leaves us torn up on the inside regarding how do I even love and serve those around me when I can barely make it through the day and think straight. Poor decisions, tribulation. I remember the testimony of one father, doting father, loved his kids really well, uh, worked a shift, uh, a different shift so he could care for his kids, uh, and his wife worked a, a shift opposite him. 
and he wasn't getting sleep day after day after day. They had a colicky baby, and one day he shook the baby, and the baby died. Spent a lot of years in prison. Turmoil, distress, of his own making, of course. Everybody gets that. But, but no one would have ever guessed, and he would have never guessed that he would actually do that. Distress, hard, right? He's torn up on the inside. Can't believe he did that. Jesus says, in this world, you will have difficulty. You'll have situations where you come to a point and there's two forks in the road and both of them are bad. You don't like either choice. You don't want to go down either fork, but there's no third way. And you've got to figure out how to proceed with the least worst, even times when there is no least worst. And Jesus says to his disciples, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. He wants his disciples to have peace. What is so encouraging is that Jesus contra contrasts himself with the world. Did you kind of catch that? I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but in me you will have peace. Now, if we live only in the world, we'll experience distress and tribulation without any peace. If we don't live in Jesus. But if we live only in Jesus, we'll experience peace without any distress. That's what heaven is. But he's bringing these two things together, saying, look, in the world we'll have difficulty, but at the same time we're in the world, we can also be in Jesus. And so in the midst of tribulation and distress, we can have peace. Now, the word peace is kind of hard to get at. It can be translated using the, the old Hebrew word shalom, meaning wholeness. It can be uh, peace regarding the peace we have with God. There's no more war, and now we have fellowship with Him. It can also be the inner peace uh, the, that we enjoy, the subjective experience of that peace. And I think that's what Jesus is getting at here because He's concerned with His disciples and how they're doing, concerned with their joy, concerned with their peace. And I can't think of a better way to describe what Jesus is hoping for His disciples than to speak about uh, a man that many of us has probably heard of, Horatio Spafford who was a Chicago lawyer in the 1800s, had actually invested quite a bit of his wealth buying real estate in Chicago. And then in 1871, the Chicago fire wiped out a lot of his wealth. A couple of years later, he and his wife and their four daughters are going to go on vacation to Wales and England. And he had some business matters that came up. So he sent them on a ship ahead of him to go there. And he would come uh, weeks later whenever it got tied up. And on the way over there, the ship that his wife and four daughters were on collided with a sailing ship and their steamer ended up uh, taking on water and going under and all four of his daughters drowned. His wife was about drowned too. Somebody came by in a rowboat, according to testimonies, and found her and hauled her in and she survived. She got to Cardiff, Wales uh, about 12 days later and sent back a telegram to her husband that said, saved alone. Well, he came over on ship and as he was about at the place where his daughters had lost their lives in the Atlantic Ocean, he penned uh, what we just sang, the song, It Is Well With My Soul. And in it, he writes this, When peace like a river attends my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, you've taught me to say, it's well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trial should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. 
Now, did he have this peace because God removed him from pain and suffering? No. He had that kind of peace in the pain and suffering. And that's what the Lord Jesus wants for his disciples and all of us here today as believers. Peace in a world filled with turmoil. Now, how do I get this peace? Well, he tells the disciples this, to take heart. One more piece of information in the introduction before we get to walking through things. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now, the language of take heart is, as, let me just give you one basic definition, bolstered because warmed up, emboldened from within, bolstered within, which supports unflinching courage, literally to radiate warm confidence because you're warm hearted. Here's what take heart means. It has to do with taking something and internalizing it and ingesting it in our hearts. And once we take heart, it leads to courage on the outside, an inner peace that leaves us courageous and bold and at peace with the world on the outside regarding how things are going. Most soldiers who go into the theater of war, they know they, they do this intuitively. A lot of them will say, yeah, I made peace with death. I realize that when I go to war, it's deadly. I may die. And so before we even step field on the battle, I made peace with death. What are they talking about? They've taken heart. They've thought it through. They've made peace with the fact that I may not come back alive. And what does that enable to do? Them? Enable them to do? Fight courageously. Now they're not going to fight scared of death. They've already made peace with it. Whether they made legitimate peace by coming to Christ or just fake peace by being okay with whatever was going to happen afterwards, though they have no idea what it is. They made peace with it. Now they can be courageous. A soldier who hasn't made peace with death can't go on the battlefield brave and courageous. On the battlefield, they will be scared and they will not function well and they will not take risks because they don't want to die. Jesus tells his disciples, take heart, internalize these things. Take them all the way down into the depths of your heart. And when you do that, you can have peace in a world that's filled with tribulation. You can have peace when that trouble hits your life. And it will. It will. If it hasn't, it will eventually. And we'll have to figure this out. Now, what are four? I want us to look at four things regarding things we have to, to do. First is we take heart by praying to a loving father. How do we get this peace? By taking heart. Taking heart what? Prayer to a loving father. Secondly, taking heart Jesus' voluntary saving work. Third, taking heart in the purpose of God. And finally, taking heart that Jesus conquered the world. So first of all, taking heart prayer to a loving father. And if you back up to verse 23, which we read last week, but we're going to kind of piggyback on this week. Jesus talks about prayer. And if you notice in verse 23, he says, and that day you will ask nothing of me, meaning that now this is unique and redemptive history. If you were the disciples and you had a request of God, what would you do in the middle of the night? Just roll over. <laughs> He's right there. You can ask him. Jesus is in your presence, sleeping in the same room or the same fields as you are. If you have a request, you don't go to the Father in Jesus' name. You just go to Jesus right there. But Jesus is talking about a time when the disciples are going to ask the Father in Jesus' name. Because Jesus is going to be absent. He's going away to the Father. And his resurrection, his ascension, his intercession is now going to be there. He's going to pour out the Holy Spirit. And the disciples will have access 
straight into the Father's bosom, as it were, because of the work of Jesus Christ. Now, if you're one of the disciples, this is brand new in a, in a real way. Now, any of the Old Testament saints could have prayed to God, but the access we now have is profound. It's greater access, as it were. In the Old Testament, if you want to come before God and get all the way into his very presence, into the Holy of Holies, you got to go into with a high priest just once a year, and he better be bringing some blood because he's sinful and so are the people that he represents as he walks in. But on the cross, what happened to that curtain? It tore. Jesus Christ tore down that curtain. And one of the symbolisms is this. You don't need someone else to go in for you. I have made the way. And now everything that the priest pointed to, the blood of sacrifice, the coming in to acknowledge our sins in order to just get into God's presence has been fulfilled in me. And now every believer has access right into the very place that everybody was scared to go before, the throne room of God. This is incredible. And Jesus tells his disciples he wants them to have peace. And I say, look, you don't even need me to take your request to the Father. You can go to the Father directly in my name. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say that I will ask the Father on your behalf. In other words, Jesus is saying, you've got direct access to the Father through me. That's what I'm gaining you, direct access. And then he says something fascinating in verse 27. The Father himself loves you. Now, they've seen what love looks like in Jesus' ministry. But when Jesus says the Father himself loves you, this is profound. This is the God of justice, the one who sent Jesus, the one from whom Jesus came that he's been telling the disciples about. He's the one who loves you. Don't you get it? He's the one who sent me. It's his decree that brought me here. He loves you. And how can Jesus say that about them? Well, they believe. How do we know that they believe? Because they've loved Jesus and have believed that Jesus came from God. That's what he says. You guys are evidencing that you believe. The Father loves you. This is incredible. So every child knows this, right? If as a child you break your arm or you break your leg or fall off your bike and get all bumped and bruised and bleeding up, you go to your parents. Why? Because they care. They love you. They're going to help you. Now, as a child, you can uh, uh, become very disoriented by your pain and not go to your parents and just have to live in that pain. And you'll continue to be disoriented and miserable. Or when you get hurt, you can go to your parents and you can say, oh, this happened. I'm miserable. And they, usually children do this by nature. They're just crying beside themselves. And a parent that can help them. Beloved, in this world, we're going to have tribulation and difficulty, but I wonder how many of us think of ourselves as little children who, when pain comes into our lives, it does what to us? Totally disorients us. And like a little kid who broke their leg, they couldn't tell you what one plus one is, even if they were in the eighth grade at that point. They are just screaming in pain. They might not even be able to tell you their name, even though they're three years old, screaming in pain. We might forget that we're little children before God. And when life throws curveballs at us and pain comes, it will be disorienting. 
The one thing we don't want to do is sit there by ourselves and try and walk around on a broken leg thinking this will go just fine. No, Jesus doesn't want this for us. I want you to have peace in this world. Where do we get it? Pray. Go to God who's in charge of everything. Go to the Father who loves you and ask him for help. Otherwise, we're just sitting on the couch trying to manage this on our own. We're writhing on the floor trying to do this on our own. We would look at a child like that and say, hey, you're missing something really important. Go to people who can help you. But sometimes we don't see it for ourselves. So if we want this peace, this inner peace that come, that we can have in a world of trouble, in a life of trouble, then go to God in prayer. Let me ask a simple question as I've asked myself this same thing. How many of us are in trouble and aren't praying? God says we'll give wisdom to us in trials, James 1. How many of us pray when we run into difficulty? How many of us start troubleshooting everything out and sorting through everything, looking at all of our options and then pick the best one without ever having talked to God about the pain we're in, the difficulty we're in, the trouble we're in, the distress we're in, and laying it at his feet? The Father owns and sovereignly operates over everything, beloved. Why would we not talk to him? The Father loves us. He sent His Son into the world to bring us to heaven free of charge. Why would we not talk to that kind of Father? Of course we would, right? We would every time, every instance. That makes sense. So let's be a people who do that and thus have peace. Now there's a second thing that I want us to look at regarding how to have peace. So take heart in prayer to, the, to a loving Father. And then secondly, take heart in the saving work of Jesus. Verse 28. Notice Jesus kind of sums up his, really his whole life, uh, his earthly ministry. I came from the Father, I've, so his eternal pre-existence. I've come into the world, there's incarnation. I am now leaving the world. Remember, leaving, he's gonna leave the world uh, in one sense at the cross when he dies and goes into the tomb. He's gonna leave the world also in his ascension after his resurrection. And then he says, and I'm going back to the Father. There's ascension. So you've got this doctrine of Jesus that he unfolds in this one verse, kind of a, a summary of all of his work. And it's very instructive. He came from the Father. The one who's giving his disciples peace is God himself. He's with God, he is God, John 1 makes clear. Pre-existent, eternally begotten, he's always existed. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so he comes into the world incarnation which tells us God cares. It tells us God is concerned about the world, but not just the world in general. Let's get very specific. He's concerned about what? What did Jesus become? What did the second person of the Trinity become? A human being. God's concerned about humans. And then he says, I'm leaving the world. He's going to the cross. That was necessary for our salvation. And then he's going back to the Father. These are things that Jesus teaches his disciples about his person, his saving work, in order for them to have peace. Alexander McLaren, he's a Scottish Baptist pastor in the late 19th century, died in the early 20th century, said this, these four facts, the dwelling in the Father, the voluntary coming to earth, the voluntary leaving earth, and again, the dwelling with the Father are the walls of the strong fortress into which we may flee and be safe. Strike away one of them, and it totters into ruin. Make the whole Christ your Christ, for nothing less than the whole Christ is strong enough to help your infirmities, vast enough to satisfy your desires, 
loving enough to love you as you need, or able to deliver you from your sins and to lift you into the glories of his own throne. And we need to take heart, take to heart the work of Jesus Christ. Meaning, Jesus doesn't want his disciples to say, oh yeah, we get that doctrine, no problem. Yeah, you're eternally pre-existent, you incarnated, you went to the cross, resurrected, ascended, going back to the Father. Oh yeah, check, okay, now we'll have peace. Uh Uh-uh, take it to heart. What does it mean to take that to heart? Let me mention just a few ways or a few things it can mean. It means at least this, no difficulty in the life of a Christian is a condemnation from God. There is no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So when difficulty comes, we've got to take this to heart if we want peace. God is not judging me as a judge judges a criminal for sin X, Y, or Z that I just committed. They have been forgiven in Christ. Now, there are consequences to every sin, some big, some small. And as a father, he'll discipline us. But that's a father, remember? A loving father, a caring father. That's someone who, out of interest in us and love for us, will so chastise and work with us and discipline us that we'll grow. But none of us are allowed to think, "Uh uh-oh, I'm going to have to pay the ultimate penalty for this sin, and that's what God is meeting out in my life. It's not happening. Jesus has paid for all of our sins. It's how he left the world in death between two criminals on the cross. That's how he left the world, beloved, standing in our place. It's part of his work. All believers as well belong to another world. Jesus says, I came from the Father and going back to the Father. He came down here so so we could be citizens of a different world, beloved. And right now we're citizens of America. Is everybody, yeah, we're all American citizens, I think, living in close to the Pella region for the most part. Citizens of Iowa, we've got some Iowa driver's licenses represented here, right? But we're part of another world. This world is not here yet, it's coming. Right now we live in this portion of the earth when the new heavens and the new earth come down, we'll be on this brand new earth. We're part of a different world. God has, Jesus has come from the Father. He's gone back to the Father. He's from a different world and so are we now because we're united to him. Let's not forget that in the midst of difficulties in this world. What does it mean? This world isn't all there is. Let's not pretend like it is. When difficulty and sorrow hits, It's easy to think like the world. I need to have my best life now. I'm missing out on so many good experiences. Look at how happy everybody else is. This is miserable. It's not even worth living. I get, beloved, that it's easy to think like that. That's how the world thinks. Get through it so we can be back to happiness and getting everything now. We're just missing one massive piece. Jesus came from the Father. He went back there. There is a new world coming. He is from a different place than here, and we are as well. This is not all there is. And the saint who lives 80 years in horrible misery, under constant persecution and pain, or whatever the case may be, need not despair. Look at Paul. If you want to look at a life like that, look at Jesus. He should have been despairing of all people. The apostle Paul, what was his life about? Right? Fighting wild beasts adrift at sea, constantly persecuted. At one point, they stoned him so much and beat him up so much, they just figured he was dead. They left him on a town, he, he was revived. 
tremendous beloved. He doesn't think he's missing out on anything because we have the next life to come. Take heart, Jesus' saving work. Take it to heart, not just believe the truths of it. Believe them. Doctrine is important. But take it in, beloved. Meditate on these things. Really in our hearts, believe them. And we can have peace and tribulation. Third, take heart regarding the wisdom and purpose of God. This is in verses 31 down to 32, or 30 down to 32. Now we know that you know all things and you do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone for the father is with me. Now he's talking <laughs> about, he's really destroying their resolve here, really destroying their faith and their own faith. Saying, look, Peter's going to deny me, but the gospel record records that all the disciples actually fled. They're each kind of going their own way. They're no longer this band of brothers following Jesus. They're just a bunch of individuals. And Jesus says something very important after the end of that. You guys think you believe? Guess what? You're all going to look like you don't believe, but I want you to know something. I am not alone. The Father is with me. And in the midst of this tribulation and distress and difficulty, we're going to continue as Father and Son to go down the course of redemption even though you guys are no longer part of it. You're no longer a contributing factor in a good way to this. I'm going to be all alone, accomplishing redemption all by myself with the Father. Now, what does this communicate to the disciples? And what does it communicate to us? It communicates to us this. It's often at the moments of greatest pain and greatest weakness where we come to grips with something which is so helpful for us in giving us peace. When our life starts unraveling and falling apart and from the outside we get all this pressure and inside we're just torn up, it's so often at those times that God is doing the most amazing, incredible things and we need to be reminded that he's on the throne. The disciples, you know, Jesus, uh uh-uh. Are you sure? Nope. Are you sure you don't know him? Nope. Crow. At that very moment, what's the Lord Jesus doing? Marching to the cross. What's God the Father doing? Putting his son on the cross like he decreed he would to make him pay for our sins. Where are the rest of the disciples? Mere spectators going their own way. Don't want to be associated with Jesus at this point. Just leave us out of the picture, Lord. They want to take your head off. That's fine, not ours. And at that very moment, what's happening? God is saving his people. Beloved, this isn't accidental that the Lord Jesus leaves the disciples with this. It's not accidental for us either. What often happens in our life as Christians, it's, it's hard to wrap our minds around. It's even hard to say sometimes. Is God does the greatest work through the most pain. And God does the most growing in us, the most maturing in us by walking us through difficulty that is disorienting, but we've got to trust him. If God would put his own son on the cross when we were asking him to in order to save us from our sins, then what will we not trust him with? What pain and difficulty will we not say, Lord, I trust you in this. I don't want to be going through this. This is not my choice. 
but you're asking me to go through this horrible situation. Okay, I trust you. I trust that what you're going to do is going to be for my good. And that on the flip side of this, afterwards, my life will yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness that I couldn't have yielded unless this difficulty came into my life. I'll trust you. And one more thing, the conquering Christ. So take to heart that Christ conquered the world. I have overcome the world, verse 33. So Jesus came into this world and he conquered it. He conquered disobedience, how? By obeying every jot and tittle of the law. He conquered Satan, how? 40 days without food, tempted just to get some bread, which would have been simple as saying the word, rock, bread, there it is. Overcame the devil, overcame death by perfect obedience, paying for our sins on the cross, going into the tomb, and if he had sinned once, even once, beloved, in his thought, death could have had a hold on him. And death would have rightly said, he will not rise from the grave. God's justice would have said he can't rise from the grave if he had disobeyed even once, even in an attitude. He defeated death, the perfect, sinless, spotless Lamb of God. He did that for you and me. He conquered the world, beloved. He came into this world on a mission to seek and to save. He came on a mission to glorify his Father. And when he came here, he was 100% perfectly successful like no other human being could possibly do. First Adam blew it. We blow it. Jesus, second Adam, did it. <laughs> He's the hero. He's our hero. This is amazing. Now take it to heart. I can't think of a, I was trying to think of a way to illustrate this. I remember in Colorado one time I was driving on a highway and it was, it had snowed a couple feet. <laughs> there was no way me and my little beater car were going to get through this road at all. But on the way uh, to uh, work, I had discovered that a snowplow was going and it actually passed me. And I followed the plow all the way to work, or at least close enough to work that I could get off and go. But my car wasn't getting through 18 inches of snow. Beloved, that's what Jesus Christ has done in this world. He's the snowplow. He has paved the way. He has conquered it. And that communicates to us, you can make it through. Or think of Mount Everest was another one. You know, the every year, climbers will pay tens of thousands of dollars from all over the world. Some climbers are really good. Some are like almost novices, but they pay a guide. And they get in generally good shape and they go up to base camp and they try and acclimate going back and forth to base camp, camp one, camp two, camp three, come back down again. After a while, after several weeks, their guy tells them the day, the time when, hey, here's a window that the weather's open. And they all go up and we hear all the stories. You know what's fascinating about that is there's these locals in, the, in, the, in Nepal called the Sherpas, an ethnic, an ethnic group. And these Sherpas go up before the climbers even get there. And they put the ladders in place and they pound in all the anchors and they test all the ropes and they make sure that people can make it all the way to the top. But they're not necessarily writing books about this. They're just the locals who get paid to do this. It's their job. And some of them have summited way more times than we'd ever dare think about. But no, almost nobody knows. Jesus is our Sherpa. He's gone ahead of us and conquered the mountain. He's conquered every enemy of ours the devil, the world, our own flesh, conquered them all, beloved. So when we go into the world, we don't have to be scared of the world anymore. We're just following in the path that he's already made. 
He conquered the penalty for our sin. We'll never have to face a penalty for our sin. And now our Father, all we have from Him is fatherly love. If there's any who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ here or that we may encounter, you have to know for our own sake, if it's us, or for somebody else's sake, that there is no peace outside of Christ. That this life and this world is just filled with trouble. In fact, if you want to have a good conversation with somebody, ask them what's gone wrong in their life, there will be a litany, if they're honest, a litany of things that have gone wrong. And there's no way to get peace unless you want to believe a lie or fake it, put the smile on, convince you that, well, everybody else is in this too. It can't be that bad. There's just no peace. And I encourage you, I urge you to come to Christ. In Him, there's peace. In Him, there's eternal peace because your war with God is over. He'll pay the debt. All your sins are forgiven. There's also inner peace when you know that God is on your side and everything that comes your way is for your good now because He loves you. So if you don't know the Lord, come to know Him. And for every Christian here, I don't know what you're going through right now and all the details. I don't know what your inner angst is. You don't know what mine is. But I'm guessing we all have some amount of it. Maybe some of us are being just crushed, like, like under a car with no jack. And we can have peace. And Jesus wants us to have peace. So let's pray to the Father. Let's take heart in Jesus' finished work. If God would take the time to come down into this world, not to relieve all human suffering, but come down into the world to go to the cross and die in the place of sinners so they could have eternal life. What does that tell us about what's important and what's not? Or what's extremely important and what's less important? Would God waste his time doing something that's not important? No. What it tells us is this, that in the kingdom of God, healing is part of his kingdom, and it's a foretaste of what will come someday, perfect healing. But what is massively important, beloved, and what you and I need to take heart in, what's massively important is that our sins are forgiven. Take heart in that. Your life and my life may stink by worldly standards. The lives of our kids may grow up and be a train wreck by worldly standards. But everybody who knows Christ has eternal life. And that's not a train wreck. That's a reality that's coming for every believer. Let's pray.